do it. All right. Welcome, everybody. It's episode 23 of Hot Take from the Kitchen. We have two guests tonight. We have Christine Witowski and Maggie Malone from the Besser Museum, Jesse Besser Museum, on with us tonight. So it should be a fun episode. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Glad you guys you. come on. Thank you for Thanks calling. for having us. All right. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Hot Take from the Kitchen. And you can also email us at hottakefromthekitchen at gmail.com. It is H-O-T-T-A-K-E-F-R-O-M-T-H-E-K-I-T-C-H-E-N at gmail.com. And I just checked the email and Anonymous emailed us saying, no question this week, just wanted to shout out happy seventh wedding anniversary to my Megan and Rich Anderson and happy first birthday to Molly, May, Aaron, and Isabel Solinger's dog. So that was nice of Anonymous. I think you can figure out who Anonymous is through that. Probably. But that's awesome. But yes, Molly Mays, their dog, it's their birthday. And um, yeah, my sister and brother had their wedding anniversary today for seven years. So congratulations to them. Congratulations. family. Yes. All right. I guess that was the only email. Light light mailbag this week, which is all right. There's nothing wrong with that. At least we got an email. Yep. Well, will we get one next week since Anonymous is supposed to be out? You know, that's going to be interesting since, yeah, Anonymous kind of is the guest next week. And um, I don't know. We'll see what happens. So um, All right. she's trying to figure out her top five right now. Yeah, she, she wants to make sure it's a good one and she wants to bring it. So we'll see. All right. I guess we'll just get into the hot takes right away here. The first one is John McCain passed away over the weekend. So it's really sad for our country. He's a good guy. Didn't believe everything he believed, but I liked him. Uh, we were talking about him. He's like, what a tough son of a gun, huh? I mean, like, prisoner of war. And then the <laughs> fact that he was like an admiral's son and that he could have left, but he was like, no, I'm going to stay here with my guys five and a half years five and a half years that i mean i guess that kind of tells you everything you know about the guy right there so i mean it's kind of nuts going along with that uh because his name though paul simon paul simon the playwright passed away this weekend too neil simon yes you you killed a musician i know i don't know what i was thinking they're both Simons. <laughs> and right, the second hot take is a couple fell in love after the woman performed CPR, CPR on the guy. I clicked on the article and they said that they were training for a marathon and a stand-up paddleboard. Oh, so wow. It's a long time to be on a stand-up paddleboard. Well, kind of like them paddling across to Canada yeah. from Alpena. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of want to know how that worked out now. Like, so he must have collapsed on shore? Yes. Cause oh, just, I thought she was doing it on the pad. Yeah, I, I was trying to think. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> they, they had just got done and he was feeling chest pains. Like, all right, I got to get to my car, get to my car. And then all of a sudden he collapsed. Yeah. And luckily she had been there because he put a post out asking if somebody would want to train with him. And she took him up on it. And I guess this is her fourth time going out. But. She was a doctor, 
luckily for him. So she performed CPR, and I guess his heart had stopped for 17 minutes. Wow. That's all very serendipitous, it sounds like. Wow. Holy cow. For sure. She performed CPR, was able to get oxygen and everything to his brain. So he's alive, and now they're together. We need to get you to have a heart attack, then. No, we don't. Okay. Yeah. Well, we can put it on the board. Instant heart attacks bonding. are <laughs> Oh. All right, and hot take number three: Little Wayne and Birdman squash their beef. Yes, so. I don't. You guys listen to rap. No. I don't. Know if you guys are big hip hop heads, but um, yeah, I saw that today. I was excited. It's pretty cool because now we'll get Little Wayne's new album since Birdman been holding the back. Oh, and there's a lot, a lot of cool stuff that can happen now. Now that that whole thing's been put to bed. So, so um, good for them. There'll be a reunion. Yeah. There'll be a whole cash money reunion now and everything. So kind of crazy because <laughs> Birdman brought up Lil Wayne when he was a kid. And right. Cash money. Right. Good for them. And I guess now we'll move on to the trivia. First. Well, we probably should go over last week's. Yes. I can find it. <laughs> Here it is. All right. Last week's question was, what is the name of Michigan's oldest continuously run mini golf course, which is located in Alpena? And that was Lee's Mini Golf. Lee's Mini Golf, yeah. yes. They had a great um, show at the film festival on mini golfs across the United States and the whole history and the difference between putt-putt golf and mini golf and um Gosh, it was really exciting. And then she did kind of apologize because I don't think she included Lee's mini golf in her documentary, but she's working on um, the sequel, version two. So it'll probably be in there. And she was showing it here? Yeah, so it was at the film. She It was at the film festival. And she's been on film festival circuits, but uh, it was really interesting. So the key to it was is you had to answer, like on the live stream yes. we have going on right now, and there was only actually four people that answered it. So you have a really good chance of winning the local basket case sticker. Oh. And then uh, I guess one of you guys can drop it out. But oh, there you go. Pick the winner. No pressure. <laughs> Our trivia team has like a really high opportunity chance to win this. <laughs> All right. And the winner of last and week. And the winner is Chuck Kolinsky. Hey. All right. I like that. Um, yes. Guess so, when Sam was named after him, now he gets a sticker. He gets a sticker from the local basket case. Um. I'll send Griffin the message, and then you guys can go. He can go pick it out. So, all right. Chuck does the shirts for our United Way event, and oh, wow. he's always done awesome stuff for me. So yeah. he's great, super cool dude. All right. And this week's question is: Alpena Community College has a statue of the school's lumberjack mascot on campus. What is the statue made out of? Mm, I know the answer to yes. that one. <laughs> These first two, I actually knew the answers to, so I was I felt good because uh, yeah. we get the questions from the CBB, yeah. and um, I was like, yes, I'm two for two already. Yeah. So, but I don't know if our yeah. listeners will know. I did. I know I found this out maybe ten years. Well, not, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was like ten years ago, but I found it out a while back, and I was surprised. Yeah. Once I did find out what it was made out of, yeah. So, it's really uh, cool. I can't think of the artist's name. A lot of times people confuse it for one of the other large sculptures that is made by um, Tom Marian and, and Anaway Marian yeah. Ironworks. And it's like, nope, it's a different artist, but it is really unique what he used for his materials. So yeah. it's a good trivia. So we'll make sure you comment below on this feed here. We'll grab the names again for next week. 
And we'll have Allison draw the name. So. Oh, is she your anonymous? She's, next week? Yeah, she's, our, she's, our, she's, our, she's our person next week. She's yeah. going to, uh, you know, we've been mean to have Allison. Everyone's like, why have you had your wife on? And uh, I just, it hasn't worked out. But finally, and it's, plus it helps yeah. with the holiday too. So we didn't have to really bother a lot of people. And um, we're going to talk a lot about the United Way. So um, about the event that's coming up. And then uh, just some other things that she's pretty good at. She does social media for a living. Yeah. So she's very savvy at a couple things and the algorithms and all the stuff that goes into actually doing it for, a, you know, mm-hmm. knowing what goes on. So, um, yeah, she makes me look smarter than I am on that type of stuff. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah. So that's the first segment of this week. Um, if you want to learn more about these girls, I would tell you to tune in to the pod. We'll be down with us here now. Yeah, and then um, we'll just go from there. So, all right, all right, sounds good. All right, you recording? Yeah. Awesome. So, Christine. <laughs> hi, Steve. Hi. So, um, kind of like seeing you around, mm-hmm. and uh, I think we kind of crossed some of the different social things we do. So, um, but I thought it'd be really cool to have you on because I don't know a whole lot about the yeah. museum. I have gone throughout my life lots of times, but mm-hmm. I thought it'd be cool to have you on. And I know you guys are doing a couple of neat things that I've noticed lately. Mm-hmm. So I thought we could learn more about that, but uh, I thought maybe just to get about you. So um, I know you from Lori because I could see you hanging out from them. And of course, I'm friends with Lori's boys. Yeah. Know. And if you're on Lori's Facebook, you can pretty much track what I'm doing when I'm with her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if I'm painting her house or camping somewhere. Yeah. Doing something. yeah. She's, she's a good, good friend. I really like to. You have a good group. It seems like you have a good core group of girls that you guys all hang out We with. really do. And you know, what's interesting is because of course I'm a little bit older than you, Steve. So I think it's when you hit this age um, that you're done raising your kids. They're older and you might a little bit more settled in a career and you get to reconnect with your old high school friends. And we do have a great group of friends. Um, we spend a lot of time together. We do girls weekends, travel to see them. Um, and what I love, and you'll hear most girls say, is those friends that you might not see for a year or two. And then when you get together, it's like you saw them yesterday. Yeah. You know, and nobody's upset that they don't have a lot of time to spend with you. They just really like reconnecting. And so it's a good core of girlfriends from the high school years. I love low maintenance friends. <laughs> you know, well, especially and, when you're really busy. Yeah. And, um, I have one really close friend that lives down in Grand Rapids and he's just as busy as I am. And he, uh, he's awesome. Just like you said, him and I have, we'll see each other maybe once a year, maybe even go two or three years. But when we get together, it's just like we saw each other yesterday. And, uh, of course, technology makes it really easy to stay in touch and you know we snap and all that other crazy stuff back and forth but um yeah it's kind of cool yeah but yeah we do cross paths like you said at some of the functions being at the museum um when i started working there i was i guess surprised at how social it was and um how many times you'd be in the newspaper or on TV or on the radio, you know, the radio didn't scare me as much because when we first moved to this area, I first moved up to Michigan, actually I was quite young, but my dad was in radio. Okay. And so when we uh, came to Alpena, he um, was a DJ and my parents were part owners in what is known as uh, now Bay 108. Oh, cool. So it was Wisby when he first started, it was like a gentle giant and then he changed to the top 40 and it kind of, 
you know, gain popularity. And so radio was okay. I think I did my first radio newscast when I was 15 years old. Wow. Yeah. And did that for a little bit. And then my dad went into, um, video production. I don't know if you remember, um, all about Alpina. A little bit. Yes. Yeah. And so that was a while because my dad's been passed away now for about 12 years. So he worked pretty much right up to the end. And, and we did a lot of what kind of what you're doing with the podcast, grab a camera and go interview people. He interviewed, uh, so many people that just like shortly after it passed away. So it's like, thank goodness he got their oral history or got their stories. And so, um, I can remember the first time I said, you know, I I can do this. I can, I want to, I got an idea for a story and I want to cover the um, 4-H county fair because I lived by 11th street and you pass the county fair and it's all these kids out in the country and they bring their animals in for a week. And it's like, well, what does it take to get these animals ready? You know? So uh, my son was young, 16, 17 at the time. And he was in the broadcasting class at AHS. And um, so we went out and one of my first people that I had interviewed was Susan Bowen, okay. um, Eagling, yeah. Susan Eagling Bowen. And um, so it was kind of funny because um, talking about the animals and interviewing the kids and she's like, you're pretty good. How long have you been doing this? I said, you're my first. <laughs> you know? So first on my own. But you know what was so unique about that story is I don't know how well you know Susan, but shortly after I interviewed her, she had this really weird kind of I don't know if it was a stroke or they weren't sure what it was. And when she woke up and came out of it, she was speaking with a British accent. And there's only a few people in the world that this has happened to. And so um, it was shortly after my father had passed away. We sold his business and somebody at church said, oh, we saw you on TV. And I said, oh, yeah, the people who bought it are still running it on that college channel. And they're like, looked at me funny and said, no, this was like Dateline NBC or something. And I'm like, what? You know? And so, yeah, because she was being interviewed for losing her voice, they used my sound bit of interviewing her on national TV. Oh my so I gosh. said that was my 10 seconds of fame. They That's never, so cool. they never did call me for a job, but whatever. <laughs> Maybe something will happen with this, Brad. There you oh, go. You never famous. know. That could be. Your 10 seconds. Well, actually you get more than 10 seconds because you're doing this every week. Yes. I would settle for a steady girlfriend for Brad. Out of the thing. That's kind of one of our goals of this time. Really? <laughs> so, Maggie uh, looks at me. Maggie just moved to town. <laughs> so, no. <laughs> I know you guys have listened a lot. Hot takes from the kitchen. Yeah, there's only three things that I, I'm sure we regularly talk about. And I always try to work in somehow Brad finding a woman. As they so, both turn beat red. Yeah. So, so <laughs> Anyways, um, so you grew up in Alpena? So we did. Yes, I did. I grew up in Alpena. And uh, after high school, I got married pretty early and had kids. And uh, so I didn't go to college. Actually, I did go to college for a couple days. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not ready. I'm not ready to do this, you know. And so, um, yeah, I, I got married a little bit younger and had two boys and a stepdaughter. And, you know, my brother was a little surprised and said, what are you, what are you doing? And I said, I'm raising geniuses. And I just spent a lot of time, you know, being a stay at home mom and investing in my kids um, and just being active, volunteering in the community. And then I did go back to work when they hit high school. I actually went to work at the high school and I was an IA in the education. um, Where was I in special um, education department? And at the time the schools were going through some, um, you know, 
cuts and whatnot. And so I had gotten laid off and I thought, you know, I'm going to go get my education. You know, I know I can do this job. I'm going to go get my teaching degree. And so actually I started, I wanted to be preschool, early uh, elementary. And I went through Alpena Community College and I had a blast. And um, then I found out about Spring Arbor and went right into Spring Arbor. And lucky for me, I was the last class to graduate from Spring Arbor before they pulled out of Alpena. Okay. So it was so convenient. And I was finishing up my student teaching and I get a call to the classroom. I was in the preschool classroom out at Wilson. I was teaching with um, Beth Strong. She's a great mentor. And the museum called and said, somebody gave us your name. Would you be interested in applying for this part-time education position? And uh, I'm like, wow, that was never even on my radar. I never even thought about the museum. Um, I was really wanting to get into like Head Start. And so I went for the interview and said, um, well, what I really want to be is a preschool teacher and I have an interview with Head Start. Can I get back with you? <coughs> so when I went to Head Start, they said, well, you have too much education now because I had more education than the teacher. And I'm like, oh, so I called the museum right away. Is that job still open? And so I started part-time. And I was going to start teaching over at Bingham Arts Academy because I did take a job full-time there. And they said, if we make you full-time right now, will you stay? And I'm like, yeah, I will. And Steve, it just has been, that's almost 10 years ago, nine going on 10 years. And um, it has been one of the best decisions. Um, Started out writing education programs. And I saw the museum as a whole entire classroom and engaging families, starting to have free family fun days. One of the first big projects I worked on was the Fossil Park and working with Lafarge and Speck Stones and, and coordinating with them and, uh, and coordinating with Kelly Poli at the time had um, kids at Lincoln Elementary School that helped and was part of this project. And Brandon Schroeder through the Great Lakes Stewardship Initiative um, worked with me and it turned out to be awesome. And it's so popular. We have people still from all over coming to the best museum just to dig for fossils. Um, You know, and then we tell them everywhere else there is to go Rockport over by Bagley street bridge down at the Bayview. Um, And during that course of time of being in education, the one director left, so I interimed for a while, and I wasn't ready. I didn't feel ready to go after the director position, and this other woman came in for a short time and left, and uh, then I thought, you know what? I'm going to throw my hat in the ring. I've been doing this for a while now, and I was trying to train the director that was there for a short time, and they're like, why don't you just do this? So, um, yeah, I put my hat in the ring, and and they had to do, of course, a nationwide search for this, which I completely understand. And um, started being the director about, gosh, five, six years ago now. Wow. So that's my career. I was a stay-at-home mom thinking I would never have a career because I chose to be a stay-at-home mom. And then now I have more of a career than I could imagine. I work not quite seven days a week, but sometimes seven days a week. I get there like sometimes seven o'clock in the morning and work seven, eight, nine at night. When I go home, I read. I I almost felt embarrassed because I'm like, I'm not going to know hot takes because I really don't get on and follow. I'm reading all the time about museum yeah. stuff. So, oh no, I uh, hot takes are funny because some weeks we get on. Brad and I usually start really early Monday morning to try to find what happened throughout the week weekend. Yeah, and inevitably 
these last two weeks have been like pulling teeth for us. Uh, sometimes it's just there's a lot going on in the world and they, they yeah. kind of boom, boom, boom. But yeah. these last two weeks has just been really stagnant. And I don't know if it's just because summer's on its way out and everyone mm-hmm. is just trying to cling on to that last little bit of summer or if it's, yeah. I don't know what it is, but because we stay away from politics. Well, and that is another <laughs> thing with us is we don't like yeah. to get too politicky on here. So um, we've kind of yeah. steered the ship that way. And I mean, we will get on the edge, but we kind of pull it. Yeah. Well, so. I felt bad because I didn't even realize that there was a hurricane hitting Hawaii. <laughs> I mean, that's how out of tune because I don't have cable at my house. And um, I just, you know, I don't watch a lot of TV. I get home from work late. And, and so it's like unplugged. And when somebody said uh, a hurricane in Hawaii, I'm like, what? So then I Google what's going on in the world. And I guess they had a really bad fire from the storm that's on oh. the island now. And it's kind of. That I didn't. I knew a lot of rain, but I'll have to look First it up. volcano. Yeah, I watched a little bit of that. Yeah. But. Nuts. Yeah. So um, I don't know if you want. We can do one to two things. I can. Uh, we could pivot or we could finish talking about your end of the well, museum or you know, you we can, do. we can pivot a little bit. Cause one of the things I just um, went through and had a changeover on the staff yeah. and I had um, my education coordinator at the time, which was Kat Tomaszewski, which okay. did a great job. And she's still working on our website. Thanks goodness. She was leaving. Um, we had um, an empty spot in the collections management department. And then uh, my new planetarium director came in. And I'm like, don't even tell me at all. <laughs> and got a job. So, and I had um, some changeover at the front. So I've had Matt Klumchak with working at the museum for 10 years. And I got to tell you, I told the board, if Matt comes in and says he's leaving, we are closing the museum <laughs> doors. And, you know, so, um, so I just, hired Maggie Malone and I asked her to come and join us. Um, she is collections manager and she can introduce herself. But um, one of the things that we are really working on currently, because we do a lot of programming, you know, and building exhibits, but it's really educating everyone on what the mission and the purpose of the Bester Museum is. We've been here for 50 years and um, we have lots of artifacts, which we'll talk about, but why we collect what we do, what it costs to maintain what we collect, what we do. And, and uh, we have procedures and sometimes people aren't happy about those, but these are legal transactions. And so, you know, it's important to, yeah, talk about that aspect of what the museum does. A lot of outward outreach is really great, but the behind the scenes is really truly what our mission is. Yeah. I think, I think what I've learned over these past couple of years is when you start getting funding from different places, a lot of times, while that money's great, there's certain rules you have to abide by in order to get the funds or keep the funds. Yeah. And a lot of that stuff sometimes isn't very fun, and it's certainly not glamorous, but yeah. you have to do it in order, you know. Right. And this, I guess, Steve, too, doesn't even really connect to the funding because one of the things, and I'll repeat this at the end of the show, is people don't realize how we're funded. Because when I first started working, um, must have been the first week, this guy says, well, so, you know, how, how are you funded? Federal, state? I'm like, no, we don't get any federal, continuing federal grant money, um, state or local. We're not on a millage. A lot of historical societies are on maybe a county millage. And he says, how do you keep the doors open? It's a good question. That's what I'm trying to figure out. And we get generous support from the Besser Foundation. 
We do pursue grants. We do have endowments held at the Community Foundation. Um, some very generous donors that have liked the services that the museum have provided have opened um, that. We participate in that Giving Tuesday, mm -hmm. which has been successful. We do write for grants, um, but memberships, admissions, all of those things are, you know, what we what we go for. And so that too, besides just those being connected, like you said, to money, it is legally we take possession of these artifacts and we um, can't just throw them away, give them away, sell them. I mean, it, it's, yeah, Maggie can explain more about that. And so she stepped into a really big job because 50 <laughs> years, <laughs> 38,000 artifacts. And uh, so, yeah. And Maggie can say where she's from and, and yeah. how we ended up. So I just met you today, which yes. is, um, I guess you would be, I would say you're my first guest that's been on here that I haven't known in some shape or form. So, um, you should come to the museum more often. Yeah, well, I guess that is fair. And you know, I have such a, I have probably the worst excuse out of all because I literally am only a stone's throw away from the museum. So, um, which, whatever. So, um, <laughs> everybody so, gets busy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always working, unfortunately. So, um, what are you not from Alpena, obviously, right? So, right. Uh, so I have moved around okay. a lot during my life. Well, not a lot, but I started growing up. My story starts in Niles, Michigan, and then we moved to Flushing, Michigan, when my mom received a better opportunity. And from there, we moved to Alma, Michigan. Okay. And it was in Alma that I started the, the third quarter of seventh grade and then continued on through high school. And I was also interacting with Alma College with their uh, pre-college orchestra and that sort of thing. And I really liked the environment. So I continued my education at Alma College. Uh, thankfully, I received a lot of support uh, financial support. And that allowed me to do a number of things, including studying abroad in Scotland for a semester. Um, and it was also during that time that I was able to perform an internship, a brief internship at the Field Museum in Chicago. Okay. And it was since eighth grade, I had an idea that I had wanted to go into museums. I had even contacted the Field Museum to see what I needed to do to get into museums. And after doing the internship there, it was like, yes, this is what I want to do. And so I pursued my master's degree at Baylor University in Texas. And uh, there was the, the whole Michigander moving to Texas type horror of clutching your pearls, you're you're going that far south, yeah. and uh, it was it was a good two years. I I was able to learn a lot and and do some networking and get the foundation that really appealed to me, which was the collections management, preventive conservation, that sort of base. But with that program, it also touched on administration and education and exhibits and design, you know, it ran the gamut. Out of college, 
which I, I did briefly ponder just continuing on with school because it meant that I didn't have to do much of anything. Yeah. But um, I, was, I was looking for a job, my next opportunity, trying to get into the museum field with a whole lot of theory, but not a lot of practical experience under my belt. And I applied for a job at Past Perfect Software Company, which is a museum software company. I mean, they provide software to museums all over the world. And so it was like, great, I can continue to work on theory yeah. and, and talk to people about how to practically use it in their museum. And so I was able to make contacts all over the United States, which is great because uh, around two and a half years later, I was looking for my next opportunity. And that opportunity arose at the Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon, Texas, which is the High Plains, AKA very windy and dry. And the UV index is max the entire time. When I say windy, I mean 35 miles per hour is pretty average. Um, and then I would I would walk to and from work, and I would consider that resistance training. And then <laughs> when the sand would blast my face, it was a good facial day. Um, when we did get moisture there, it was raining mud, basically. So you know, good good friendly environment that bred weather. So I would actually get migraines from from the weather uh, being generated. But it was at PPHM, the Panhandle Plains Historical Museum, that I was able to turn all of the theory into practice and practical knowledge. And I started out just as an assistant registrar. I was doing data entry. I was doing a lot of research. And three months in, I was tasked with developing their internship program. And then Shortly thereafter, there was some staff fluctuation, and then I was tasked with developing an exhibit, and then in another exhibit, and, you know, onward. And so I was an assistant registrar acting sort of like a curator, acting sort of, you know, getting all of these hats. In the meantime, I was one of three, one of whom was part-time, taking care of over 2 million objects in the largest history museum in Texas. And then the registrar decided to retire. And I was interim registrar and then I came on as registrar. And I did that for a few years. And I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for my next opportunity, hopefully where there's moisture in the air. <laughs> And trees. Oh, trees. I miss trees. And green. It's just amazing how green and the colors can feed your soul. Mm. Where there it was mainly all brown and yellow. Mm -hmm. um, after all, amarillo means yellow. And so they, they were not the colors that make me happy. Um, and so I was, I was looking around and trying to find places that 
I would want to live doing what I want to do. And I saw, actually, I didn't even see this. I eventually did, but it was my mom who first alerted me to this opportunity. And then it came up through one of the listservs. And then one of my friends also pinged me of, hey, you should take a look at this. And I looked at it more and more, visiting the website, um, just looking at people without being too stalkerish, looking at the, the town, the area. You know, living in Michigan, we had vacationed up this way, but not necessarily in Alpena. We had hit Mackinac Island and, you know, that area and hadn't come over this way. Um, in fact, Chris and I were talking the other day after looking at a, a map provided by another museum, how this area of the, the mitten, it looked like a black hole, that no roads go there. <laughs> so it's all, yes, so it's all undeveloped territory, the new frontier. And um, fortunately for me, I was able to pass the interviews and I was, I was hired. Offered the job, yeah. So in just bringing a lot of her knowledge to bear on um, a museum that's going through transition. And so one of the things she's tasked with that museums have to do that hasn't been done is inventory, a complete inventory. And then also uploading things into PassPerfect, which is the data software. And so um, a big job, one of the things too, is getting procedures in place to train volunteers because my thing to Maggie is you have to amass a small army to help with this. We have some great volunteers at the museum that help in lots of different capacities. But this is kind of a specialized um, field of being able to be entrusted, one, to be in areas where our artifacts are, and then um, researching and, and capturing that information that has to go into uh, the database. And she came up with a form to what you have to answer. And you would be surprised at how much data, like we have a very large collection of art. And so to gather information on each piece and each artist. And so that um, when you go to set exhibits, you have things ready for that exhibit and all of the details. So, but um, this is something too, that the museum, our museum goes through um, accreditation where a national accredited uh, representatives would come in and look at your museum and stuff. And so they're looking for those kind of things of like, your database, your procedures, your policies. And so being in the middle of this process right now, it's just, yeah, working hard to make sure we got everything, you know. And that's kind of weird because it sounds like that's right in your wheelhouse, of course, from yes. what you said. So it, it most definitely is. But I find that I have to do more of the administrative again. Mm -hmm. Um which is a good thing because I'm setting the policies and procedures in place so that this entity can continue going forward well mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. the next 50, 100 years, right. hopefully. So if any of your over 100 followers want to do research <laughs> project, projects, you know, yeah. look on our website, bestermuseum.org, and mm -hmm. you can find me under staff and just contact me there. Mm -hmm. But that that does bring to the fore that we are making 
changes, including implementing a collections application. And, mm -hmm. you know, we have to really vet what comes into the collections because we don't have a lot of space. And sometimes we do have duplicate artifacts. You know, we only need so many sewing machines, so many typewriters. We don't need them all. Um, and so you will find on our website that there is an application and it is asking you to fill out uh, a number of things. Uh, to fill out a number of things, including the history of the item and anything and everything you know about it. Because if we do accept this item, I know nothing about it except what I can search on my favorite search engine. Um, so if we take in an item without all of that history, I will have to try to recreate the wheel later. But usually the items that come to us are coming to us because people are getting ready to act upon their last will and testament, basically. And so we are looking at a, a window of opportunity where we can get these histories for these objects that will make our collections better. Uh, and it is. It is a lot of... Of work to do, but who better to tell mm -hmm. the story than the person donating it to us? So. Right. I would think that would be. I guess I never saw one until I talked with you guys. But it's one thing just to get at the item, but to know the story and everything, the history behind it probably makes it all that much more impressive. So, and and you yeah. actually have to have that. And I liked how Maggie had explained when we first started having these conversations. It's like say you donated this chair without any information. It's just a chair. But if this was the chair that Jesse Busser sat in when he signed his first contract, or if this was the chair that, you know, the first residents of Alpina or it was made here and brought here, then you have a story, you have provenance, you have something that when you put it in an exhibit, other than that, when people say, what is this? It's like, well, I don't know. It's a chair. Yeah. You know, what's the significance of that chair? And, and there's other um, things too that, you know, not needing 50 chairs that represent the same you know, Sal, it's like, and so we always feel bad too saying, well, we already have that in our collection or, um, you know, because people, it's nice. They, they want to contribute, but they don't understand all the legalities on the backside of it. And so we're really trying to educate that way. And, and even for, you know, um, our own sustainability, you know, one of the things that, you know, our mission is, is to collect, preserve, interpret, and exhibit authentic articles in, um, in art, and I like this, of history science to inspire curiosity, foster community pride, and cultivate personal legacy. And the cultivating personal legacy came along in, in this because um, I was so inspired when I first started working there. It was a time when there were some industries in town laying off. There was the high school, I had a school system, some other things going on. And I read The Town That Wouldn't Die that was... Um, a collaboration between Ann Tabor, which was a history teacher that I had for many years, and then Bob Haltiner. And I can remember reading through that and getting so excited and, and coming out of my office and saying, you know, 
we always reinvent ourselves. Alpina is so unique. We have so many natural resources. We have had so many, you know, really great ideas and, and companies thrive here and something's going to give. And it really is, Steve, when you look at where we're going with the arts and the culture and the food and the breweries, and it's like a whole new vibe that is regenerating our community. And so, um, inspiring your own legacy. And I love when I was talking with young kids and talking about Jesse Bester, talking about other things and saying, you don't know, what are you going to do? What, what mark are you going to leave? And maybe you'll be in the museum and you just see that sparkle in their eye. Like, yeah, maybe I will, you know? And, um, so it's just really, that is our mission. So if somebody brings something that may not be from this area, it's like, well, does it really tell our mission? Or if somebody brings something in and it's like, well, we might have so many of those, you know, that we're sorry, but, you know, so just really kind of, again, educating on what it takes to run a museum, what our mission is, and how our artifacts really are the foundation of of our exhibits. So, yeah. And we do other things, too, with being art, history, and science. Um, and so we look for things that will help strengthen those those core disciplines, too. Makes sense. I mean, I guess some of that stuff I never even <clears throat> thought about, like having twelve typewriters and so that. I remember this summer. Oh, we have more. <laughs> so I, I remember this summer. My wife and I went out to Forty Mile Point Playhouse. Yes. And in the basement, they have dishwashers, and like it's all through the time you can like literally just go through it all. And I was just fascinated by the whole thing and just to see them all there and just how it's kind of evolved and the whole process, but. Yeah, I can see what you could run into that problem of space and having too much of the same thing and so on and so forth. So, And there, too, a lot of museums also run into the issue of people only donating those things that they considered as special, like their mother's wedding dress. Most likely museum, a museum doesn't want your mother's wedding dress unless she was amazing or it was iconic for that period in time because museums are usually packed to the gills with wedding dresses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, At my former institution, we had a whole lot of uh, waffle irons because everybody would receive them as a wedding (laughs) gift. And... Let's give them to the museum. So we had shelves of waffle irons. That's amazing. And then what started coming in next were pipe organs and organs. It was like, mm-hmm. yeah, these are macro artifacts, and they take up a lot of space, a lot of time, a lot of effort, which that just goes into the other whole aspect of how much it one object costs to preserve for mm-hmm. even a hundred years. Yeah. We're looking at my time. We're looking at the HVAC system. We're looking at electricity. We're looking at the storage containers. We're lo- I mean, it just goes on and on. Mm-hmm. And we are fortunate that we have a, a pretty good don- donor base, but mm-hmm. we're always looking for more donors, more funders. But the thing is, with funding a collection, donating to a collection is not sexy. Getting your name on a room, that's sexy. But buying a box, mm, yeah. I mean, if you want, I can put your name on the box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's the behind the scenes of things. But 
Fortunately, too, I mean, and we are going to work at really educating and elevating the Besser Museum and our collections and our mission. But fortunately for us over the course of, of quite a few years, we've had really substantial programming you know, updating our planetarium with the digital planetarium. I don't know if you guys have been there yet or not, but you need to come see it. It's amazing. You know, having the art that we have on, doing local artists like our juried art program um, and non-juried art program um, brings people in. Some of the the Catherine V and we have a mini Greenfield Village in our backyard. You know, we've done a lot of family programming. And so what's nice about that is elevating our outreach and our programming has brought a lot of people in and attention to what's in the museum. And I always love the, I had no idea. I had no idea you had this one here. Or this was going on. So right now you're, um, yeah, Ted. Right Fines. Now. Yes. yes. And people are appreciating that. And he calls himself an urban explorer. He is the executive director right now of our humanity, uh, Habitat for Humanity, but he grew up in Detroit. And he said he never broke into any buildings. The window was open or the door might have been ajar already. <laughs> but these are places that he got into and snap pictures. Some of them have been um, torn down already. What's interesting is we have a lot of visitors in Alpena from the Detroit area. So they truly connect to this. Plus, we have a lot of transplants that retired and moved up here. And so um, he did a, a talk the other day on how he captured these photos and then coming up in September 6th through October 11th, he's offering a six week course on digital photography. So it's going to be on Thursdays from 6 PM to 7 30 PM at the museum. And people can go online or call to find out more information. If you want to, I have to be confess. I have a digital camera that I really don't know how to use. I'm a point and shoot girl. I can take some pretty good pictures. I love going on photo hikes, but how to really use that camera. I know. I don't know. So I probably will sign up for this too. I know um, our friend and past um, podcast guest, um, Rick was, I saw that he was interested in that. made a Facebook invite. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all, and that's how I actually saw that today. And um, I had a couple of friends <clears throat> Say they were interested in it. I saw it. So yeah, it is pretty cool. I know that you're right. The camera buttons are kind of crazy, and of course, depending on the brand, there some are backwards, and just it can be kind of confusing the whole thing. Yep. So. so understanding your camera, and then just his artistic ideas of like how you set up a good shot, and and what you look for, and and all that stuff. So so like I said, I will probably take that on Thursdays. What I'm doing on Tuesday at the museum. Yoga with Paige Trisco. I love it. We started mindful movement in the museum. Okay. And um, we have an exhibit of art by Labadon, which is a uh, Vietnamese French artist. It's beautiful artwork. And so I contacted her. Well, actually, it started with a conversation with her mom because Paige's mom looks amazing for age. And I'm like, how many yoga classes are you taking? You know? <laughs> and so I said, I can never leave the museum. I, I work just all the time. And so she's like, well, you should bring it to the museum. It's like, what a great idea. So Paige has been offering uh, just drop-in yoga. You don't have to have any experience. We bought some mats. You don't need a mat. She brings in some of her sound bowls and does the sound therapy, which is absolutely amazing. And um, it's it's a... We want to say a beginner level. It's more of a meditative, but it's a good workout. And it's just amazing meditative relaxation. I practice some of it at home. I'm actually I'm taking it home and doing it. But um, even with it being at the museum, 
I've probably missed three or four lessons <laughs> because I get busy or have a meeting or something. But um, we're going to continue. We were only going to do it through August, but it was so popular. And uh, the people that are coming said, oh, does it have to end? So we're going to take it through through December 31st and then redecide after that. So we're doing that um, on Tuesdays. So that's fun, 530. Cool. We are yoga fans on the pod, but we both practice at different places and stuff like that. So um, I'm a new yogi. I like it though. <laughs> doing it for a year and a half. Have you? Where do you go? I go to the Bay. At the Bay? Yeah. Now, I don't know who I, I went to the Bay maybe once or something, but again, time, yeah. but yeah. And Paige also teaches at the performance locker. Right. So my uh, daughter-in-law takes it sometimes at the performance locker too. Is that where you go? I go to the locker and actually just starting at the locker next month again. Okay. Nice. And they do that hot yoga. Yes. Yeah, so that's where I usually go. That's what I heard yeah. is really good. So I don't know. I don't know if I could do the goat yoga. I saw the pictures and I know people love baby goats and they like that, but I just wonder what it feels like when that goat jumps on your back, you know, <laughs> <laughs> little claws. Yes. Just, just so long as you don't bring them into the museum. I yeah. No. <laughs> no. Maybe out on the lawn. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, the goat yoga is not for me either, yeah. but it is, they are cute regardless. So. Oh, um, but it's a great practice. It really is. I love it. So do you, uh, do you guys still do Harvest Days? Yes. And that's actually coming up. Thank right. you for saying that. October 6th. Um, we changed that a few years ago to call it Fall Harvest Fossil Fest. Okay. Because with the fossil park and just give a new twist because we do Log Cabin Day in June. And it's the last Saturday in June. And we do Fall Harvest the first Saturday in October. So they're kind of bookend events, a little bit similar. So really to change it up, we partnered, reached out to Lafarge and Specification Stones, and we have quarry tours into the quarry. So we, we oh, get wow. Alpina school buses, and this is a dollar for uh, admission, a dollar for the planetarium show. So it's a great deal. And Lafarge and Spec Stones, um, help underwrite this program and people love it. They can get on the bus and leave the museum and drive down into the quarry at Lafarge and then down into the quarry at specification stones and then back to the museum. We'll have some fossil experts there. We have some rock artists. We have all of our buildings out in the back opened um, special planetarium shows, some food that our founder society do um, puts on um, Bob Kabawa. I'm going to say his name wrong. He is the historian that put together our one room schoolhouse okay. exhibit. He will have his exhibit all up and people love that. They love coming and seeing where they went to school. Um, so it's just a really great festival time, but adding that dimension of being able, have you ever been down in the Lafarge quarry? No. It's like a mini grand Canyon down there. Yeah. It, it's just amazing. We have biked and run by out there on Wessel. And when you look yeah. at it, it's absolutely crazy. It really is. So to go down and then look up and it's like, wow. So, yeah. And it's really nice because so many people do not understand some of our industries and what Lafarge does and what specification stones provides. Their aggregate has helped build like I-75. <laughs> they provide aggregate all over. Their aggregate helped build the rails to trails path from Alpena, like up to Mackinac City. You know, did you know that? Uh, you do know. He's going to be on that trail this Saturday. Uh, running a half marathon. He's running a half oh, marathon this Saturday. Oh, wow. You're a runner, too. For the Al Ferris, it's going to start out at Long Lake Highway, um, where the uh, that path, and then he's going to run into town. 
That's a great path to run. It is. We yeah. usually run it every Saturday morning. So. Wow. So, yeah. Not so far, but so that's part of it. That's now you'll know as you're running down there that specification stones aggregate. Just tell everybody they run by. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know? Make oh. them stop and feel the stone. Yeah. I'll tell you yeah, what, though, that rails to trails is one of the best things um, that in this area of biking, I've only biked a little bit, but my goal is to bike all the way up to Mackinac. So we'll see. It goes to Sheboygan and then you catch a trail up to Mackinac. And I've done a little bit of that. Um, I was a little nervous when I heard there are bears that cross the trail sometimes. So <laughs> that, that's why I'm like, I don't know if I should do this by myself. But um, the other thing that I think is great is just our bike path around Alpena. You know, just that they started that, you know, in 1976. I don't know if you remember the bicentennial path. It went and and it went from yeah, you're you're rolling there. It went from like behind the water plant down Water Street, and where did it go? I'm trying to think. It was just oh, around the the college. You had to go down the street, and then they put that around the college a little bit. It was just this short little path back in the day, and. And I always, when I'm out walking there, I'm like, this is one of the best things the city has done is put these bike paths everywhere. Yes, the the walkability, the bikeability, just the, be, the ability to um, get around in our community mm-hmm. is really awesome. Yes. Um, yeah, 100%. It's like yes. one of my favorite things. So, yeah. So anything else, girls? I think after we get close to this, we're going to segue into the top five, right? Yes. And the jury dart I did mention. So the jury dart is open to all artists 18 and older. Um, We're taking admission or entries starting October 7th through October 13th. So really that's just a couple weeks away. We're already getting into September here. And uh, it's $15 for Besser Museum members, $25 for non-members. And how this works is you can enter up to three of your art pieces. And we have um, our juror this year is Irv Lewandowski. He's and amazing. You know, Irv, yes. And he's just does like, a great job. Yeah. He did art classes this summer at the museum, and it was great. He just He's going to have one more September 11th, the beginner's art class with his colored pencil. So you want to look for that on our website too. But, um, have you seen that? He's, look at he, it. It's all pencil. He's going to do, and I don't know if I got, oh yeah, right there. It's color pencil. Isn't that amazing? It is. And he just captures the flow of water in rocks. And, and he is um, a national winning artist yeah. and uh, teaching in different places around the nation now. And he just has really, he's been an artist his whole life, but we know him for running Dunkin' Donuts back <laughs> in the day. And uh, so when he retired, he just really focused on his artwork and has mastered this. He has a lot of his work at uh, 45 North. Um, Augie and Peggy Matusak's mm-hmm. gallery, which is amazing. Oh my gosh, their gallery on Second Street. Of course, it's by the Art in the Loft and stuff up on Art in the Loft is amazing. So, um, so this is an opportunity for any artist to throw their artwork in there. If they're accepted, we have first, second, and third place winners. First place gets three hundred dollars. Second, two hundred, and the third place gets a hundred dollar cash prize. Is there a theme? Uh, no, no. And we did the themes for the non-juried. We did the foot by foot, which turned out to be so great. And I entered because it was non-juried. Nobody could kick me out. And uh, then we did the winter blues. And that was another one that people really liked non-juried. The winter blues, when I almost entered, I had the picture already and I just chickened out. I think we're going to do it again. And then uh, Justin's doing a red one. Yes. And I have that all ready to go. Yes. So I did my first one. 
two last year for his uh, jury. Oh, okay. So they did abandoned forgotten spaces. Oh, right. So yes. I submitted two pieces. No one actually sold crazy. So what is your medium? Is it photography? photography. Or? Okay. Because yeah. when, when he announced the red mm-hmm. at his opening, I snapped a picture of something. It was this beautiful sunset out of his window on that red brick that you yeah. see. And I'm like, hey, I might use this for your red. Sure. You know? <laughs> so I racked. I mean, I've, I know what I've wanted and I haven't been able to do it is I wanted a pink sky oh, somewhere. Yeah. There haven't been a lot. No. And I wanted, there's a barn. I have the barn located. But I have to catch the pink sky with that barn. That's yeah. what I'm wanting to do. And I have not been able to do it. Only yeah. one time this summer, I found it. And by the time I left to get the camera and drove back out there, it was all over. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh. But I do have a sunset photo I'm putting in. Well, maybe so. you can mix the two and do some digital editing. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. That's a popular thing yeah, now. Yeah, it is kind of crazy. Yeah. Right? So... Awesome. So what we'll do is we'll wrap up this segment and we'll come back and we can do your top five. Okay. What is it again? So I didn't quite understand like what your top five was. And so I was like, well, you know, I'm going to go with the top five things that surprised me that people don't know about the museum. Which is awesome because when I was reading through that, I knew one or two of them, but some of them I didn't know. You didn't know either. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's, that's perfectly fine. So that's awesome. So, all right, we'll take a break here and then we'll come back. Great. All right, so you got top five things that people might not know about the museum. Yes, the things that surprise me that people don't know about the museum. So they, uh, people don't know, one, that we're over 50 years old and that we house the only planetarium in northern Michigan. That's the one I knew. <laughs> yeah, and but, so many people that like, yeah. we didn't know you had a planetarium in here. So since we went digital, I am marketing the planetarium all over Northern Michigan. And we have a lot of people coming in now from Gaylord, Potosky, down from Sheboygan, Mackinac, Alcona. So just to get the word out that, yeah, we have the only planetarium in Northern Michigan. And we have actually just created a Facebook page for the planetarium. So you can get uh, what shows, the schedules, you know, some email or talk with Jonathan, our new planetarium guy, which is awesome. So that the other thing people are surprised to find out is that we're open seven days a week, year round, with the exception of holidays. So they're like, you're open seven days a week? I didn't know that. Yeah. So we're open seven days a week, Monday through Saturday, 10 to 5, Sundays from 12 to 4. And we do planetarium shows our Wednesday from three to five period is our free period. It's always been free to the public, but we have planetarium shows that are $5 a ticket. So we have a planetarium show on Wednesday at three 30. We have planetarium shows on Thursday and Friday at, I want to say one and two, but you better check your schedule. And then we have five planetarium shows on Saturday and two on Sunday afternoon. The Sunday came along because so many people came in and said, I remember as a kid, we used to come to the museum after church and go to the planetarium show. And so now it's like, okay, we're open on Sundays. We used to be closed on Sundays. We're open on Sundays and we do the planetarium show. So yeah, open seven days a week. Uh, The other thing that people are always surprised to learn is that we have a large fine art collection that In the museum over the course of 50 years and kind of in the 70-ish period, we had a very active uh, group of Founder Society members under uh, kind of the leadership of Bob Haltiner. And I think it was Gene Ginneman, which is now the director of the Dinos Museum in Trevor City, 
um, collecting art and purchasing collections of art. So we have regional artwork uh, by like Irv Lewandowski and uh, Bob Adamite. Um, we have Midwestern art collection, Charles Cluel. We have one of the largest collections of Cluel pottery and uh, uh, Percival Ives and George Adamite, which is a relative of Baba Adamite, and then Frederick Church. And then our national art collection is Thomas Hart, Benton, Philip Evergood, Robert Motherwall, Andy Warhol. We have a Andy Warhol. Um, Richard Estes. Is that how you say it? And then Estes. Estes. And then uh, a Chihuly. So many people come in and are surprised to see Chihuly at the Bester Museum. And that, again, was a collection that was purchased by the Founders Society. And then our international art collection, we have prints um, by Renoir, Shazan, uh, Diego Rivera, Salvador Dali, and Escher. So when we put out our Dali, our Salvador Dali, people all over Northern Michigan were surprised. People in Alpena were surprised. So how we were able to get like our Salvador Dali out and our Labadon and even our American printmakers was we knew that we had these collections, that we had to get them out. It costs money to professionally frame and mat. So we did an adopt a dolly. And that was our first fundraiser to say, will you adopt a piece? This is how much it's going to cost to frame it and mat it and display it. And then you get credit for that. And that was probably one of our fastest fundraisers. And so we had, oh gosh, I'm not going to remember how many pieces. I want to say $60 um, from the Divine Comedy. And so we're going to get that out in a couple years again, because we still have people coming in saying, where's your dolly? We want to see your dolly. Yeah. You know, we have our Picasso up. We, so then we did our next American printmakers and again, adopted people, sponsored the art work to get that framed. And then now our Labadon. And so um, that is a fundraiser that we do that people may not, you know, get into fossils, but they love fine art. And so we are three museums in one. That's what I had to kind of explain to Maggie. She's like, I don't, okay, wait, I don't understand how this art fits your mission. I said, Jesse Besser wanted to bring the outside world to Northern Michigan. He wanted to bring it to his hometown. And so it is bringing things that are regional for our history, but also experiences that you won't be able to see. I mean, it's so cool when people come out of the museum and compare us to the DIA yeah. or to the Chicago Fields Museum with our animals. I always thought that was my favorite thing growing up is you had bits of Alpena, but there were things that weren't from Alpena, you know, and I always thought that was the neatest thing about the museum. And many of the kids that we put through on tours, we tour probably 2,000 kids a year. And this might be the only museum they ever go to, you know, and a lot of people that you might be surprised to know really don't travel much outside. I mean, I know we like to travel and go and explore, but I know people who just, they don't venture past the county line. Yep. So to bring those experiences here, we still have so many people in Alpena County that are intimidated to go into a museum because they're not quite sure if it's for them. And when they're there, they absolutely love it, you know? And so we really wanted and have achieved, I think, making it accessible and friendly and not like, is this welcoming? Can we walk into this? You know, right. I would never have gone as a young mom with my kids. I just wouldn't because I wasn't quite sure what was behind those doors. Mm. And, you know, it's like, what is it going to, are they going to, you know, look at me funny and say, what are you doing here with your kids? So 
we really do make it family friendly and accessible. And we have a great staff that's very welcoming and uh, answering questions. And I love those responses from people of how comfortable and accessible it is. So that's what I'm inviting everybody, all of your listeners to, if you haven't been there, come on in. So number four is the Vestor Museum houses over 38,000 artifacts. And we've talked about that. (laughs) And, but what people are surprised about when they come in and it's so funny is they're like, you've got a mini Greenfield village in your backyard. I'm like, yes, we do. It's like five original structures, all from Alpena County, which makes it more unique than Greenfield Village because they transport in buildings from all over, you know, the nation to tell their story. Ours are from Alpena County, all from the same time period. And so that's pretty unique. And these are things that we're still working on um, interpreting and making accessible. Um, And then the 1928 wooden commercial fishing vessel that is had so much work done to it. It was a boat that was built up in Rogers City, right on the shores of Lake Huron by two Native American brothers, boat builders, launched in Rogers City, fished out of the port for, I want to say like 70 years, its whole career. And uh, when it retired, it was dry docked on the banks up in Rogers City for a long time. And then it was hauled down to our museum like in 2002, I want to say. And then it just, they had plans to do what we're doing, but money ran out, grants weren't available, changeover, whatever. And it was just sitting on our property deteriorating, which is one of the worst things for the museum. I mean, we're stewards, we need to preserve it. And so Tuffy Cross is a net mender. That's how I first met him. He he mends nets. But what he really is, is he was the uh, commercial fisherman from five generations of commercial fishermen. And so that was his family legacy. When the state um, started pulling commercial fishing license and uh, reducing what your limit is for catching, he then was put out of work. And then he went to work for the DNR as a captain of the Chinook research vessel. And the Chinook did a lot of work to um, maintain the lamprey, the invasion of the lamprey. And so um, I called Tuffy one day and said, hey, can you help me with this? I want to talk to you about what can we do. And he took over this project and really restored with lots of volunteer help, restored the Catherine B. We built a fish mock fishing village around it. The buildings that would have been on a fishing village, like your ice house, your um, net mending, your fish market. Um, We had another gentleman, Dave Robertson, work on restoring our Collenberg engine and getting that running. It's about ready to run. Um, and we just had it hauled back. Thank goodness for Moran Ironworks. It weighs 10,000 pounds. <laughs> so to get a crane to haul it yeah. back to Alpena from Hillman is where it was. Um, so uh, that's part of the exhibit. And um, so people are surprised when they go out there that we are preserving this heritage. And I'm proud of this project because when we first started it, Steve, it's like, I don't know anything about commercial fishing. I am your typical museum visitor. That's like, I don't know about commercial yeah. fishing. What is the big story? I need to do research. You need to tell me more about why this boat is important. And it's amazing. So there's other museums around Michigan, port cities, that have boats or have um, stories or uh, 
museums, historical sites. So we pulled everybody together and we formed what's called the Great Lakes Fisheries Heritage Consortium. And we went to Lansing. Our second meeting was in Lansing. And they said, even at the state level, we tell the story about the auto industry, about the timber industry, about the mining industry, but we really don't tell the story about commercial fishing. And it was one of Michigan's first industries. And, um, you know, it really helped feed the world, especially during the depression. And so it's a story that we're developing. And um, we are now going to our fourth conference. We have fishing conferences. We did one at Fishtown in Leland. We did one here. We did one out in uh, South Haven. But this year, Beaver Island. Oh, I've wow. never been to Beaver Island. That's cool. So, yeah, so we go in a couple weeks. And uh, it's all things about fishing. And it's been a very helpful consortium for all of these partners. Yeah. So it's really cool. Bill Cross drives for us. So Oh, yes. Yeah. Commercial so, fishing. Yeah. And you know who else? The McCoys. Yeah. They come from a commercial fishing family. Yeah. So it's interesting to listen to Bill talk about all the fishing and stuff when you're around him. Cause, I mean, he's almost 90 now. He's 85 or whatever he is. So, but, yeah. I'm going to have to. Yeah. The Dutcher family is another big fishing family. So, so it's just really, yeah. So it's a neat story. But the last one is, and we touched on it a little bit, but the museum receives no continuing financial support from federal, state, or local governmental entities or millages. So it's not like, I mean, we have to work for it, right, Grant? You know with United Way how that works. And so we have to always be pursuing and grant writing. You can spend a lot of time and not get awarded that grant. It's very competitive. People are always like, well, write a grant, write a grant, write a grant. It's like, it really doesn't work that like that. It's like we have pursued grants and uh, some have been successful and some not so. And then you have to go again because now you're in the cycle. Mm -hmm. So that's good. But keep writing. So um, that is something that, you know, I didn't start out to be a fundraiser, <laughs> but, you know, it's just so nice because I don't do it for me. I do it for the museum. And when we had our capital campaign, the community was so generous. We raised over $500,000 in like a year's time, yeah. which surprised everybody. Yeah, I could not believe my jaw literally hit the floor <laughs> when I heard that. But at the same time, it's so cool, right? Yes. I mean, it's like you're just, the whole thing, I couldn't even process it at first. I was like, they raised a million dollars in like a year. <laughs> that, and that that was like, Pina for a museum? But then I was like, how awesome is that? Like yeah. all at the same time. Just yeah, like crazy. It, it really was. I learned a lot. And, you know, I had help and Steve Lappin was on the board at the time. And we kind of had this competition going where he'd raise a little bit and I'd raise a little bit and he'd raise a little bit. And, and but it was really the community valuing the Besser Museum. And that just like really, you know, broke my heart. I just loved that idea that they they value culture. They value the museum and they value their heritage. And so that was really cool. And of course, the bulk of it was for um, transforming the planetarium into a digital and then also just some of the other needs that we have, you know, it's, it's big. When we have people, our operating budget for the year is just under $500,000. Wow. When other museums step into our museum, they're like, so what is your budget? Like a couple million? I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't. 500, and they're like, how are you doing that? Yeah. And I'm like, we have a passion. We just, we make it work. We don't know any different. This yeah. is what we do, you know? And uh, so, yeah, we could do a lot more on a bigger budget. And I know uh, Maggie looking at collections is like, 
yeah, we need a bigger budget, you know, but, but we will focus on fundraising for collections. And first it is the education. And so really that is why museum memberships are so important. I know um, my wife somehow in her job is starting, she's gotten pretty good at writing grants. I was like, you know, if it ever didn't work out at the credit union, grant writing is such a big deal now. I go, you probably could go somewhere and just write grants all day long. Oh, It's exhausting because you're right. You spend a two month or two month on working on this and you submit it only to be told no. And then it's back all over again. You had to start all over again. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. And you can't get discouraged. You have to just keep going back. And when you get that no, it's like, well, you have a need. So let's go to the next. Where can we get this? And and when you believe in your mission and what you're doing and really, you know, getting the pitch, because I know your involvement with United Way and they do so much and people know a little bit like I know a little bit what United mm-hmm. Way does. And, you know, it was funny because and you might identify with the statement. Somebody said, when you get sick of hearing yourself say it is when people are finally hearing it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, you know. I know exactly so. Very well. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a, it's a worthy cause. The museum, the United Way, uh, the Art in the Loft, the college, the library. I mean, we are so blessed to live in a community that really offers so many amenities to our population, especially for as remote as we are. And then we're so blessed to have like you say, generous people. When that Giving Tuesday that took place last year, so it's the Community Foundation has been doing it for a couple of years. Last year, it blew them away yeah. at how much was raised and how many different entities were really got some good donations. Yeah. So yeah, it's really cool. It's it really is. I I know, like I'm right in the middle of it right now, and it's crazy to see just let's say we got a chair from Stanson like they just I mean a really nice recliner you know five seven hundred dollar chair no yeah. yeah just take it yeah you know, we're all about it and that's just and that happens two or three times a day right now to me people just call me up and like get over here I got something for you you know and it's just it's yeah. crazy it and really it's is. so much work that you put into that one event and that's all your back work they don't realize like yeah. you're working on it continually and now United Way is a regranting agency. Correct. So you're raising money for some of the things that you do all the time, but then you, I can write a grant to United Way for certain things. And I know I'm always looking like, okay, what does United Way fund that yeah. the museum, like kids programs or something. Yeah. Um, but you do so much. Twice a year. You can now. Yeah. We do too, too many grants a year now. Okay. So the last one just wrapped up this last Friday at 4 PM, but then we'll do one and back in the spring mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. And, it, for me. and again, competitive, <laughs> we live in a small, you know, a small community where you, I'm sure you have to vet lots, just like the community foundation, they have to vet lots of grants too. Yes. So, and there's so many, so many worthy causes. So. Awesome. Yeah. Are you speechless? He's speechless. Brad what what is, was the uh, one thing you learned, Brad, from this conversation? I learned five things about the gazing. <laughs> well, thank you. You didn't know really any of that. Truthfully, I've never been to the museum. You will come tomorrow yeah. on your lunch hour. <laughs> we'll see about that. I will come soon. Well, you don't work Sunday, and we're open Sunday 12 to 4. I do. With the planetary. With the planetary. Right. Bring my niece and nephew. There you go. That's what I was thinking. So we should go. I, yeah, so we can talk about that. 
Well, thank you for girls for stopping by. Well, thank you for this opportunity. It's this an awesome great. Uh, episode, and then uh, I just I love the museum, even though I don't go as much as I want to. But I mean, yeah, that's what it is. So, but that's great. Just the fact that you love that it's here and that you love what it represents, and it is. It's there for when people you know want to use that. And I think you know, I, I we've talked about this before in the pod, but when I back went back to school ten years ago, um, Tim Kuhnlein was yes. my instructor, and. He said at the time, and of course, you know, it's people like that who have a vision, right? You yes. know, and he said that the town can be more than concrete because 10 years ago when I went back to school, yeah. um, the economy was a mess, just kind of like at the same yes. time, you know, and, you know, we became so ingrained in Besser and Lafarge and all these other places, and they are important. I'm not certainly not saying that, mm-hmm. but we really became a manufacturing town and that's what we were. And we, with manufacturers slowly being eroded away, and it's going to continue as, you know, because business wants to get more efficient. They want to find cheaper ways. So eventually, these things are just naturally going to happen. But to find a new identity for Alpina, I'll never forget when he said that Alpina definitely has the opportunity to be an arts beacon. And he said, he'd even say Northern Michigan or he didn't say Northeast Michigan. He didn't say Northern Michigan. He said Michigan. Yeah. You know, and he goes, they have, we have a, there's a really unique opportunity there. I'll never forget that he said that. And it's been interesting to kind of watch it grow. Yes. You know, along. Yeah. And it is. And there's so many people getting on board in, in the Thunder Bay Arts Council with the museum too, but the Thunder Bay Arts Council has really led that, um, that initiative and that drive. And Tim Kuhnlein has been a part of that for a long time. And when I went to work at the museum, I became then part of that, um, Northeast Michigan, what was it called now? Arts and culture, arts and culture for Northeast Michigan, arts and culture for Northeast MACNY. And then MACNY kind of morphed into doing the Lake Huron discovery tour, which I was a part of the discover me on 23. And Oh my gosh, we had a riot on that for three years, but that could have been another whole full-time job. And we were all volunteers (laughs) and, uh, we had a blast with that. And now Tim is working on the art sculptures and uh, he's doing some stuff with Thunder Bay Arts Council. And then there's another vision with Augie Matusak. And uh, I kind of sit on the advisory board for that, but it's just neat to see all of this taking off. And, and of course, Justin, the great job he does at Art and the Law, yeah. you know, and other people investing in art galleries they're, it's just leading the way. Yeah. So people are taking risks. Well, and it's exciting to talk to both of you who obviously have a passion for it, mm-hmm. you know, and like Justin's always great. I did talk to him. You said when he's going to be on in a couple of weeks and mm-hmm. I don't know if Brad's really sat down to talk to Justin about the whole thing, but he just gets going and he's just so excited about it. That just rubs yeah. off on you. And yeah. You can't help but be excited about it too, even though, yeah, and it is. And there's a neat collaboration that goes on between us. It's kind of nice because, I mean, we understand it. And even with Noah, a lot of times people from the outside will say, well, are you partnering with Noah? Are you partnering with Noah? Are you doing it? And it's like we partner when it both strengthens our missions and stuff. And we understand how busy we are focused on what we do. And so, like, we don't offer too many art classes at the museum because they do such a great job at the art in the loft and it's ideal. People come in and ask, are we going to do like a uh, maritime? It's like, why would we do maritime when Noah and the Thunder Bay Marine Sanctuary does an awesome job with right. the maritime history? You know, we do other parts of, of our heritage and our art 
and um, then our science, you know, so just having that understanding and working together and supporting each other is I think awesome. And so that's what I think the people that are in the middle or in the circle understand, but people maybe looking from outside are like, well, gosh, you should collaborate more here or do that. It's like, we do a lot of collaboration and a lot of supporting of each other and a lot of respecting each other's missions too. So one of the most recent programs we partnered with the library and the library was partnering with NASA. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, and it's some really neat opportunities that is not only STEM oriented, but STEAM oriented as well. Um, looking at the, the engineering and arts and, you know, sciences, technology, math, mm-hmm. but yeah, awesome. good stuff. Well, thanks for coming back, girls. Thanks. Thanks, Brad. It was a pleasure meeting you, and I will see you this Sunday for your pod viewers. Be there. Brad's going to be at the museum. (laughs) (laughs) So I got to go now. (laughs) Thank you. So there was a slight confusion on the top five. There was. So, but I felt like when I read Christine's, I thought it was super important because it was really cool. Yeah. But I feel like selfish, but yeah, we owe it to our listeners. Kind of weird. That's why I said it's just us being selfish. We wanted to do top five too. Yeah. So our top five this week. Top five books. Yes. Started from Greg, our guest last week. Yeah. We were going to do this originally with Greg and then uh, he changed it, called an audible last minute. Nothing wrong with that. So uh, here we go. So, all right. My number five is The Girl with a Dragon Tattoo it's by Steve Larson. It's book one of the Millennium Trilogy. It's just. I believe that book's called something else in the country it was originally written at, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, probably. And it's like a really kind of crazy name. Like they Americanized it because, yeah. like, <laughs> it's something like a woman killer or something like that where people would have not have read it yeah. in America, so they made it that. And it's, but, yeah, no, that's a fantastic book. We actually yeah. – I, I have that book in my bookcase. Yeah. So. All three books were really good. So. I didn't make it past the first one. So oh, I had the other two. Oh, maybe. <laughs> the, the, the winter time is when I do my reading, so that's good. Um, my number five is not a book really, but I'm going to do it anyways. So it's the complete Frank Miller series, <coughs> the graphic novel of the Batman. It's black leather. I've had it forever. It's been through dogs. It's been through marriages or a marriage. So, and now and this was, it's just, I love it. Yeah. And yeah, so it's great. It is. I've read through some of it. All right, number four is Matterhorn by Carl. I don't know why I can't read it in my writing, but Marlantis, maybe? It's a book about Vietnam. I have not read that. I've heard of it, though. I have it here, if you want. Oh, my gosh. It's, is a, big, it's a thick book. Too. Is it like based on a true story? or? Um, the author was in Vietnam, but it's sort of a fictionalized version. Which is one of my guys I'm getting to here in a little yeah. bit, so I know what you're talking about yeah, there. So. It's, it was a thick book, but it was a fast read, and I really enjoyed it. Number four for me, you're going to laugh, but you'll appreciate it, Bill Simmons' Book of Basketball. 
one of the honorable mentions. Yeah. Um, I like, because we, t- I don't know, I'm sure it talked about before <laughs> him, but I loved how we talk about tears. And now you hear that a lot, you know, with different things. And he was really the first person I ever really. Yeah. So. Yeah. Now he's probably going to have to rewrite the whole thing. You're probably right. <coughs> anyway. Uh, number three is Tuesdays with Maury. The first of two Mitch album books on my list. And it's pretty much a diary of his meetings with his writing professor in college and how he would go visit him on Tuesdays. And his mentor. Yes. It, I mean, most of the time the books are better than the movie anyways, but the movie didn't do the book justice, unfortunately. At least in my opinion, because that. I, I didn't see it. <coughs> but yeah, I mean, wow. It was a really good book. The second best book, so. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay. So, um, number three for me, I, you know me by now, so you know I was going to pick a Harry Potter book. So, um, I went with The Goblet of Fire. It was, out of all the books, I remember tearing up in it when I was reading it. So, uh, person died and the whole thing was just really really sad you want to spoil it well i mean people that i mean it's not like it's new now but when cedric cedric diggory died and then harry brought him back that whole thing was just super sad and uh harry's melisandre (laughs) and of course those of you who know and listening along cedric diggory was edward cullen so it's rob pattinson so so before he was um, Edward, the vampire, he was Santa Diggory, so. I didn't know that. Man, we're just filling up the knowledge I in know. your brain. You're going to want to take a personal day tomorrow. All right, number two is The Time to Kill by John Grisham. It's his first ever book. It's about a guy who kills two guys who rapes his daughter, and then Jake Bergrantz comes on and takes the case, and just. That book. This is amazing. It, is. it was on my honorable mention. It, I really couldn't choose between that and the Batman book. I really felt like John Gershom got me back into reading. Is what it, you know, I read as a kid, and then you have to read in high school, so you kind of stop reading, right? Yeah. And then that came out, and I remember reading that in like 11th grade, and I was just like, wow. I enjoyed the movie. Yeah, the movie was good. Yeah. Mr. All right, all right, did a good yeah. job. Samuel L. Jackson did a great job. So, um, yeah. Just Jake's speech to the juror. Yes. Yeah. Yes. hundred percent. Um, my number two, you're probably, I don't know. You won't be surprised. Uh, Da Vinci code. So I absolutely to this day think it's cool how Dan Brown is able to take things that are real and twist them into like, <laughs> he's able to write fiction that makes you go, is that really, maybe that's true. Like, and then you actually go and check things and like, okay, no. And uh, just, it absolutely fascinates me when people are able to take part of what is real and then twist it and make it into this other thing. It's just absolutely amazing. And it sort of fits our subjects for tonight. Yeah. You know, the museums and art and all that. Yeah. All right. Number one, Fat Five, which I won. What can you say? It's the best basketball team ever assembled in college basketball. And it's my number one book too, so we're kind of done. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, 
there are certain things about that book now I kind of look back at and I feel like maybe there's some liberties taken, but that's uh, things get sensationalized, and then I guess that's okay. Um, I don't know. I mean, the Fab Five probably doesn't mean some things to some people, and I can get it if you want to be like they were paid and it's overrated and everything like that. And I appreciate that, but some people think the Beatles are overrated too. So, like, sure. you know, and um, I know for you and me, they hold a special place just in our at our lives and in our hearts and probably always will. So, um, yeah, it's just kind of nuts. It is. So, uh, what are you doing this weekend? Uh, I'm running the Al Ferris half marathon. Which we've kind of talked about. Yes. And after that, I don't know. Michigan. Michigan. College football starts this weekend. Who you got? Oh, I've got Michigan, of course. God, I hope they win. I do. I mean, I always – as long as Shea Patterson plays our race. We got a quarterback finally. We, he can stay healthy. Here's the problem with this, right? Is that I don't know. So Harbaugh is a lot like a guy. His quarterbacks are always we'll use my professional like his quarterbacks are like trucks, usually. They're really typically not super fancy, but they're really good workers. They get the job done. You look at like some of his more, especially Andrew Luck, right? Shea Patterson is a freaking Camaro or Corvette. He, I don't know if Harbaugh knows what to do with that. Like I, I almost feel like he's not even the right quarterback for Harbaugh's system, but at the same time, he's so talented. It's like, why would you just turn it away? Like someone's going to give you the keys of a Corvette. You're going to take it. Right. So like his mobility and the way he's able to get around, I don't know if, you know, we are so run heavy and we have such great running backs that his, I don't even know what we're going to do. It's going to be a blast on third down because he's definitely had to bring an element that we haven't had since Denard was here. And um, with Denard, it was kind of predictable because it just was what we had around us. But it could be really – I was looking at our schedule – I love how I'm saying hour. So, um, but I was looking at the schedule and by playing Wisconsin, Ohio State, and Michigan State and Penn State this year, Michigan, if they win. But I guess what I'm trying to say is Michigan has the opportunity to definitely make the college football playoff with their schedule 100%. So, and they're allowed to lose a game in there because they play such quality people. And some of those teams they play on the road. So, like, that helps too, and then they have a yeah. They went out. They're definitely making the playoffs. Oh, oh, they went out. Yeah, hundred percent. They'll be they'll be one of the top three teams in the nation. So, I mean, Ohio State's five and Wisconsin's four, right? So yeah, so so if they would have went out, they would be preseason two top five teams. So yeah, seeing people picking Penn State to go to the playoffs. Yeah. It's, Tough conference. I heard do – you, do you listen to Russell's podcast at all? No, okay. but I will now. Yeah, fair enough. He was talking about uh, – a couple weeks ago he had Scott Van Pelt on, which is how I found Russell anyways. But, um, and he was – he said the people that talk about Harbaugh is overrated and Harbaugh stinks is the biggest crock of crap ever. But to say he's the greatest quarterback ever or greatest coach ever – is a load of crap too. So he's one of those few coaches out there that, you know, 
can be a couple different things. But he said, if you're going to go by the standards in which so many people hold, he goes, there's only like, what, three coaches? Yeah. You know, you got, what is it going to be Nick Saban and Urban Myers? And um, I can't think of the guy from Clemson. Yeah, so you're gonna have, are you going to tell me you have three coaches in all of college football that are actually good coaches and everyone else just falls off? Yeah. He goes, obviously that's not true. He goes, Harbaugh's a hell of a coach. He goes, has he underperformed on and does he need to get a win against him? Yeah, of course he does. But, you know, when you look at what he's taken over with and what he had before, he's done a good job. So, um, Coward a couple of weeks ago talking about Harbaugh, you know, people need to get off him because he's only – Two plays away from being three and three against Michigan State and Ohio State. And yeah, one of those plays is just just following the ball. Yeah, so there is some. I think there is some stuff there where I don't want to say it's a lion esque, but there's some bad luck that's been going on there. That um, when you have it like they like Michigan and did they got rattled, and I don't mean this in the sense of like one game. I'm talking about decades like Michigan was so good and being almost a bully and then Michigan State kind of and these other schools kind of came and punched him in the jaw and kind of knocked him out and they were I just think it left the school reeling for a little while and you know sometimes it's like the movie Bugs Life sometimes you have to keep on the ants to let them know you know and well it was transition from Lloyd Carr to Rich Rodriguez you know. it was tough Anyway, so Sunday – Rodriguez is yeah. a Brian Ellen football. That's true. Holiday weekend. Anything else planned? Um, no, just relaxing and recovering. Okay. Maybe go to the museum. Yeah, it sounds like it. I know uh, Saturday morning I'm going to take – I got to take some pictures of the sunrise over at my uh, in-law's house. And that's what something they've requested, so I'm going to get up early and do that. And then um, – Sunday, we're probably going over to Haski and see them camping and hang out with them for the day. I'll be back Monday, and I'm just going to take it easy because we're just kind of. So why don't we give our listeners an update about your uh, race? What's going on with the race? I see you got some sponsors. Well, we have two sponsors and donator. One sponsor is Real Estate One, who was a sponsor last year, along with Thunder Bay Family Dentistry. And Bernie Lamp donated some money to us. Bernie's awesome. Yes. And I have, uh, I don't know, a confirmation or something. Neiman's is going to send in some sponsorship money. And Dylan Wallace from the Wallace Firm also said he's going to donate or be a sponsor. And then Christy Johnson from Family Enterprise for going to get trophies there for sponsorship that's awesome so what's the date of the race again uh the race is november 3rd at the alpena county fairgrounds registration will start at eight and then the races will start at nine with the one mile and then the 5k and 10k ish around 9 30 or so and it starts at the fairgrounds loops up behind it over by to the cemetery and back and it is gorgeous it's 5k route to 10K travel along the bike path with John Chisholm to the Duck Park and down Long Rapids. Hopefully, hopefully we won't be flooded out this yes, year. Hopefully the route will stay the same this year. 
hey, those are the things that happen. That's right. So never trust Mother Nature sometimes. Um, and then once uh, September 20th rolls around, then I'll be able to help you out a little more with that. All right. Well, my prayers going out, given I'll flyers tomorrow. So. That's awesome. So if any of you guys listen and want to be a part of Brad's costume run, we are raising money for? Uh, Boys and Girls Club of Alpena. Yep. And that, to give you guys an idea, $10 raised will sponsor a kid for a year at the Boys and Girls Club. So um, well, even the littlest amount makes a big difference. Yes. So um, we uh, sat down to talk with Brad one day. We had a beer with him. And um, he just – yeah. We could have Brad on here, but we would literally have, have a four-hour podcast. So I don't I think we'll figure out a way to kind of keep him curtailed. But, um, yeah, so it's an awesome cause. Costumes, right? Wear your costumes, dress up. I mean, they're optional, but it's encouraged to wear them, but you don't have to. And I'm going to try to take some pictures. So Pets are being allowed this year. So. Bring your pets. I'll take pictures, and then, you know, whatever else. I think, are we going to have the indoor area? Uh, yes, I believe we are. So we're going to have an indoor area to keep you warm, and we'll have hot cocoa there and everything else, coffee, so that way you have to freeze your tacos off outside. Yeah. should probably have some games inside. Yeah, maybe we'll, we'll figure out some games. If not, maybe a karaoke machine. We can get you to sing while people are waiting. Maybe. We'll see. One shining moment. <laughs> <laughs> so you want it I like it I can tell it's There's in you so many songs that would sing yeah so probably not appropriate for little kids <laughs> but maybe you have a little kids thing maybe so alright well this has been a good episode Christine and uh, Maggie Maybe. are definitely um, passionate yes, and um, obviously like so many organizations and people we've talked to um, or just seems like wearing a bunch of different hats and I don't want to say they're overworked underpaid, but they're definitely making do and it's awesome to see people. It's what makes Alpena awesome, right? Yes. You got people just trying to do stuff for our area and that's what makes it awesome. Yeah. So it's good to see. Next week we have the wife on Allison. Hopefully we'll know what the top five is soon. And then, um, we will, um, talk about the United Way and we try not to bore people too much with it. So, um, and then I don't know, that probably about it. I thought about trying to, Oh yes, this is what's going on. So I'm taking the pressure off of you to find a female partner next week. You and Allison are going to play battle of the sexes. I'm going to make 10 questions for both of you. 10 questions that a girl's going to know easily. You got to answer them. 10 questions for Allison that I know guys you know that she should be able to do. And then you guys are going to battle off, and the winner will get, I don't know. But I think people will find it mildly entertaining because they should be layup questions for both sides. Both people should be like, oh, my God, that's so easy. And then both people, I think, are going to struggle with them, so it's going to be fantastic. So a week after that, Eric Peterson from the Fresh Pal will be on. Hopefully I haven't talked to him in a while. But um, we're going to talk about his beer festival coming down the pipe. And then after that, we have your guest, yes, Amy Martin. Amy Martin. So, and then after that, we have Justin or Mark. 
I have to look. We made the sketch. Yeah, <laughs> but Justin Cooper's coming on for Art and Loft. He'll have his Jerry Art exhibit up at the beginning of October, so we'll talk about that. And then Mark Jacobs is going to come on. We talk about some ACC men's basketball. Get hyped for the year. Maybe some running. Some running stuff, some cross country stuff. He's the hardest working man in ACC sports right now. And then uh, we got Matt Cameron. And then I know we're going to have Steve Saltzwich pretty soon. Cheese from the news. He wants to do all sports. So if you can just, those of you who sports, just non-sports fans, you skip the pod that week. And then uh, I forgot, maybe we'll have Brad Summers on in October too. So, and then I got to work on 30. All right. So, all right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. I know it's a long episode, but hopefully it'll be worth it for you guys. Thank you. Bye.